Good morning. You know, I found uh, in moments of helplessness, anger, or lament, as we're facing now, as we're experiencing, uh, I found it helpful to look into God's Word, um, looking into God's Word together. Uh, the Word has a way of reframing us, taking us out of our present realities that can seem very sordid and difficult to understand, to be able to see a bigger picture of what God's doing. And at the same time, uh, focusing on God's Word can help us to see just how deeply God cares about that present reality. So I invite you this morning to uh, join me in hearing from God. So we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a little while now, right? It seems probably longer for some than others. Um, but if you, it's also been a couple weeks since we've been in Mark, so I thought it was worth recapping a little bit of, of what we've covered so far. Uh, so if you remember a few weeks back, uh, Pastor David started us off uh, looking at, uh, early on, looking at Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. And the first words that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Mark were, it's not a quiz, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The first words he spoke. From then, he went on, Jesus went on to embody the kingdom of God in his words and his actions, and really in everything he's done from that point to now, where we are in Mark 4. And he demonstrated authority over evil spirits, over illness, over sin, over just about everything imaginable that folks at that time were dealing with as we are now. Uh, we also saw Jesus call the disciples through a simple yet powerful, follow me. That's all he says is, follow me. So these folks drop everything. They leave everything behind to follow Jesus. We also see, or saw, that Jesus faced a ton of opposition from those who were benefiting from, the, from keeping things status quo. They were benefiting from the system as it was. right? And so they're, they're, they're resisting him. The religious leaders of the day didn't want to hear about a new kingdom. Because they liked things just the way they were. They didn't want anything challenging their rule or the ways that they were benefiting. So they accused Jesus of what? Working for Satan? Of spending too much time with sinners and tax collectors. Um, and, and trying to catch him breaking their little rules that they created, right? Particularly around the Sabbath. Um, so what we've seen, basically, is that no one really quite understands what Jesus or the Father have been up to. What is God trying to do? In today's verses, we'll uh, hear a few different parables about the kingdom of God. We'll get some insight into what God's plan is, a little bit of a glimpse. Um, But by now, it should be pretty clear that God doesn't do what's expected. He often catches us off guard doing things that are very surprising. And this is partly why God's unconventional and unexpected kingdom require faith. If we could predict it, it wouldn't really take a whole lot of faith, now would it? And the main point of my sermon today is that we need ears to hear. Ears to hear in order to be in line with God's will and kingdom. So let's jump right in. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read Mark 4, 1 through 34 for us. It's quite long. So let's dive in. Uh, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the, sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is disclosed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first a stalk in the head and the full kernel in the head. Soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many, many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God. It's a long word of God, isn't it? All right, so the first question I have for you is, why did Jesus speak in parables? Uh, up to this point in Mark, Jesus has used a few parables. But in this section, as you've seen, he goes, he goes all out. He's got uh, several for us. Um, those of us who've been part of a church for any length of time are probably pretty familiar with the notion that Jesus did speak in parables. I'm guessing a lot of us aren't quite sure why. Parables were actually a pretty common teaching technique for rabbis in that day. Uh, they used it to help common people understand religious principles. And we see Jesus doing the same thing here. For example, Jesus uses several agricultural analogies right, to uh, explain his points. And this is because most people at the time would be pretty familiar with that language. So when Jesus talks about sowing seeds, they knew what he was talking about. I had to look up what sowing seeds means, but you know, they understood what he was talking about. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is because parables are analogies, they aren't meant to be taken 100% literally. Okay, so they paint the picture for us, 
but they are more like impressionist paintings and a little less like photographs. It's a little blurry, it's a little unclear. You have to look kind of closely and kind of try to discern what it is that, what is trying to be depicted. Now, this might frustrate some of us who like things a little bit more straightforward, a little more clear-cut. I mean, Jesus was God, right? So he could have probably been a little bit more direct. He could have invented PowerPoint for us, right? Like we have, put some nifty slides and graphics up and, and have a very clear, you know, step-by-step, what is the road to salvation? He could have done it that way if he wanted to. So why didn't he? I think one of the reasons he didn't do that is because mystery is a very, very important part of our faith. According to one commentary, and there's a slide for this, mystery refers to a heavenly truth that is concealed from human understanding, but is made known by God. It's not a mystery in the sense that it's incomprehensible, but it is a secret in that not everyone yet knows it. Okay, so just because it isn't always easy to grasp or obvious doesn't mean it's not, it's not true or that it's not worth pursuing. So, in fact, I mean, if you look at the passage here, the mystery is only explained and revealed to those who follow Jesus. And it's not because they're smarter or earn some sort of insider status like joining some kind of country club. It's digging deeper. It's sitting in that mystery. These are the ways that God disciples us to be more like Jesus. And Jesus patiently sat with his disciples explain the parables over and over again to them. Even then, they still didn't get it until they lived with him for three years, and then he kind of had to die and resurrect for them to really understand what he was talking about. And it was only even through that, through God's grace, breaking through their hardened hearts, that actually allowed it to happen, the mystery to be made known. Okay. Now, can any of you relate to that? Because I know I can. I can be pretty stubborn and pretty hard-hearted at times, and looking at some of you, and I know that that's true. Um, (laughs) uh, Another reason Jesus spoke in parables instead of in straight talk can be found in verse 12, where Jesus references Isaiah 6, uh, 9 and 10. Now in that passage, God tells Isaiah to preach to Israel, knowing that they're not going to listen, and that they're going to steal their hearts against God's word. In Isaiah's day, much of Israel refused to listen to God's warnings, God's warnings, particularly to repent of idolatry and of spreading injustice. These are the two things that God points out. Okay? Now again, this is very important. God warned them to repent of idolatry and to stop spreading injustice. These are things God takes very, very seriously. And it took punishment, such as being conquered, being exiled, forced to leave their land. And even then, a lot of them eh, didn't really sink in. Right? A lot of them were still unsure or unclear as to why God was angry with them. Now, the people in Jesus' day weren't a whole lot more receptive, as we can see. It wasn't until Jesus died and resurrected that even the disciples understood what Jesus was talking about. And it wasn't until Jesus' body was destroyed and restored to glory that Jesus' followers grasped what the kingdom of God was really about. So, we see Jesus intentionally spoke in parables for seemingly contradictory purposes. On one hand, pretty easy to understand, very accessible illustrations. On the other hand, imperfect and mysterious, requires some thinking, right? Is that okay that we have to think about this a little bit, right? Now, Jesus knew that not everyone who heard his word would take it in. They wouldn't take it to heart. And parables served to separate those who had ears to hear 
those whose hearts were too hardened to take in God's word. So that's what we see. Um, So we're going to turn now to the parable of the sower that we see in verses 1 through 20. We see there's four different types of seeds, and there are different fates that each of these seeds experience. Now, Jesus purposely uses or chooses a story of a sower here, as I talked about. This is an agricultural society, so again, they were pretty familiar with um, what he was talking about and the illustrations he was using. But there's also some historical and spiritual precedent to uh, this, the, the parable of the sower here. Now, in several places in the Old Testament, such as in Jeremiah, God describes himself planting or sowing Israel to restore and renew her. Okay, so now most of the audience at the time wasn't exactly clued into the fact that Jesus himself was the way that God was choosing to restore Israel, right? Um, the word that he brings, the kingdom of, that the kingdom of God is now near through him, through his embodiment, and that God's salvation is here through Jesus. Most of this was lost on them, and, and it's illustrated a bit in this parable. So the types of soil may refer to individuals, right? So to some of us, some of us might read one of these and be like, oh, that's me, I'm, you know, I'm this one or that one, or I struggle with this or that. And that can be true, um, but in our culture, we've become pretty conditioned to reading the Bible sort of as an individual exercise. And I think largely this is because we read, right, like I'm reading my page, right? So this this tends to be me and the word. But at the time, this was a word that was spoken to groups of people, right? So I think it's a safe assumption to make that this message is also for the audience Jesus was speaking to or the people to whom the book was being read aloud, um, in an oral society, and so we can assume that this is also for them as well as it is for us. Now, earlier I referenced Isaiah 6, um, and the reason is because Jesus cites it in verse 12 of our passage, and this is the chapter where Isaiah receives his commission. Is anyone familiar with this? So it starts like this, and, and I have a, a few of the, the verses on the slide here. Um, it starts, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two that covered their faces, two covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So Isaiah's natural reaction to seeing all this is he freaks out. right? I mean, who among us wouldn't? It's pretty terrifying. He sees God, he sees angels, he doesn't know what's going on. His reaction is, I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. And so a, um, an angel comes with a, the, the scripture describes it as a live coal and puts it on his tongue and tells him his sins are forgiven. He says, okay, I guess I'm okay. I can be in front of God now. Um, and what does he hear next? He hears God ask, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Okay, so at this point, he's probably pretty amped up. So he's probably like shooting his hand up to volunteer like, yes, I will go. I will go, and here is the message God gives him to preach. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Okay, now you, I mean, you, you, you read and heard this right. It's a bummer of a message. This is not a fun one to be delivering, okay? I mean, can you imagine he's all excited after seeing God, after seeing angels, coal on his mouth, you know, feeling forgiven, and and then this? And so Isaiah's response is, for how long, O Lord? 
And if I'm reading between the lines here correctly, I think he's kind of saying, I may have volunteered a little too quickly. Is there anyone else to do this? Because that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Okay? And it gets better. God tells him he's got to preach this word to a people that will, or sorry, he's got to preach this uh, message until the land is laid to waste and only a few faithful are left. Okay, so the fruit of it's not even going to be there, right? It's it's not even going to really work. In other words, Isaiah, you're going to preach my word to a people that will at best, at best ignore you, okay, or laugh at you and at me. Okay, so this isn't exactly the most encouraging thing to hear. Now, if we look back and put this in context in Mark 4, and in Mark 4, it's verses 10 through 12, we see that it's actually working in concert with the Isaiah passage because the people have hardened their hearts. And so God's further hardening their hearts. Okay, and this is not an easy message as we've been talking about. And it's definitely not one that people were expecting to hear. Okay, but to, to really understand... What Jesus is trying to say requires pursuing after that truth, digging deeper into it, um, sacrificing comfort, of the, the comfort of our everyday lives as, this, as the disciples did. They walked away from everything and having to persevere in the mystery and the discomfort of what God is saying and what God is doing. So before you lose hope, though, notice that the sower spreads seed all over the place. Okay. Regardless of the soil type. What does this tell us? God's message is for everyone. It's for everyone. Okay? Even those who will not ultimately take it to heart, God sows the seed. We've seen that God, or the sower, spreads seed all over the place. Right? Regardless of the soil type. And the reason this should be encouraging for us is because it's not for us to force our coworkers, our colleagues, our friends, our family to get it. It's not on us to do that. It's not us to convince them or to change them, as many of us are compelled to try to do. Really, what we're supposed to do, our responsibility, is to faithfully sow the word through our prayers, through our actions, through our words, regardless of who or the condition of the soil that we're called to. Like Isaiah, our responsibility is to speak God's word faithfully. However, unlike Isaiah... We live after the resurrection, and we have eternal hope. We know, and the Holy Spirit gives us courage, boldness, and energy to continue serving even when it seems fruitless, because we know the victory's been won, right? Can I get an amen on that? Do we believe that? Good. Okay, now let's, let's keep going here. Let's look now at the different types of soil. The, the sower scatters seed, and the seed that falls in the path are eaten by birds, Some seeds fall in rocky places where the soil is shallow and they're scorched by the sun because the soil isn't deep enough to sustain roots. And still other soil falls among thorns and manage to grow. They're choked by the thorns before producing. Um, And then finally, we see some good soil, right? And we'll we'll get to that. Um, as, As Pastor Michelle reminded us a few weeks ago, Satan is our very real enemy. And this is a reminder of that. For the seeds that fall on the path, Jesus says, Satan came and took away the word. He's actively looking to snatch the word away from us. Remember what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say that? Are you sure? I don't know if you heard God right on that one. 
just a little bit of twisting, a little bit of manipulation, right? Now, this takes a lot of forms in our lives, doesn't it? It can look like dismissing God's word as archaic and out of touch. It can look like convincing us that God's word creates division and so, and, and makes some people uncomfortable. I don't know if they want to hear it. Is it wrong? Is God's word wrong because people aren't responding the way we, we think they ought to? Or maybe, maybe Satan snatches the word from us by preoccupying us with pursuing the American dream. Did God really, really say you can't serve two masters? Because I bet you can. I think you can have it all. You can have your safety, your financial security, your, secure, or your, your health, your status, your corner office. If God really loves you, why wouldn't he want you to have all that? Am I making sense? I'm convinced that seeking comfort, security, power... And money are thorns that Satan uses to entangle and strangle people from producing fruit and furthering God's kingdom. Pursuing these things ahead of God's will and kingdom don't only only affect us as individuals. These are not victimless crimes we're talking about. Okay, Consider the destructive path left behind by those in pursuit of the so-called American dream. In order for some to have security, the many had to be sacrificed. The white picket fences were erected on the strength of systematic genocide of Native Americans, on slavery, immigrant quotas, Jim Crow, unjust housing practices and laws to keep people of color in squalor and far, far away from quality jobs and education. And our prisons are filled with nonviolent offenders who lose their basic rights over a dime bag. To reinforce those fences, our police departments have been armed with military-grade weapons. And I don't have to tell you today what destruction that's caused, do I? It's this very same obsession with security that leads to us talking about erecting legal and physical walls to keep out the illegals and the refugees. These thorns don't just choke us. They don't just choke us. They make us choke others. They make us chokers of others. But thank God that that's not the end of the story. There's that good soil, right? I told you I'd get to it. Verse 20 tells us that the yield is 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. These were considered good to very good yields, but they weren't actually crazy yields. In other words, they grew like they were supposed to grow, right? So they're normal seeds like us. In other words, we can be fruitful too. There's no, there's no excuse. There's not some crazy miracle going on with the soil, okay? To be fruitful in that time, and, still, and it still means this, it meant to spread the word and to multiply disciples, Okay, so this is what rabbis did back then. They'd take on students, they would teach them, spend time with them, and those students would go out, get their own students. And so, the, so obedience and knowledge of the word and the law would spread. So that's kind of how it worked. So what we see is it's not just about understanding the word in our heads. It's not a cognitive exercise here. I mean, it begins there, right? But it doesn't end there. 
It's about acting in accordance to the in, cor- in accordance to that word and spreading it. And if you think about it, that makes sense. It's really hard to remember something that you don't put into practice or have to talk about a little bit afterwards. Any of us who are either teachers or students recently, we know cramming it doesn't work. It doesn't work, does it? You might do well on that test. You're not going to remember anything afterwards. And it's the same here, okay? You can't just cram this stuff in and have it in your head and think about, oh, I heard a good sermon on Sunday and walk away and think it's going to last with you. It doesn't work that way. You've got to practice it. You've got to do it. And that's how the word spreads. That's how you produce fruit. And what Jesus is saying to practice is spelled out in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, where again, we see agricultural language. Okay, God talks about forming Israel as a fruitful vineyard. Okay, and he intended it for it to be good fruit. But what happened? Bad fruit. Bad fruit happened. Okay, Bloodshed instead of justice is what the scripture says. And in verse 5 there, God says he'll take away his protection from that vineyard and it'll be destroyed. He wasn't happy with what was going on there. God nurtured and raised Israel to spread his justice and righteousness in this world. And his word isn't just good news because it induces good feelings and makes people happy. Okay, It's good news because it eradicates evil and produces beauty and conditions where people can be fully human and flourish. In the book of John... Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and coming to earth to give us full lives. Full lives. And he will not be satisfied until that happens. Until the kingdom of God is fully realized on earth. So how can we live those full lives that Jesus died for us to be able to live? That he paid the price for? Well, if we look closely, the answer is, in fact, in this passage. The Greek word for to hear shows up 13 times in these verses. 13 times. And it's translated as listen as well. As with many things in the New Testament, there is a strong connection to the Old Testament. And in Jesus' day, faithful Jews recited Deuteronomy 6.4 daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. That here, at the beginning of Deuteronomy 6.4, it's the same word as listen. And in uh, verse 3 of our passage, when Jesus starts the parable of the sower by saying, listen, oh, knock my Bible over. When he says, listen, he's signaling he's about to say something that is straight from God. Okay, so this is a listen up moment, all right? Not only do you, the audience, need to listen, but you need to, according to Mark 4, 24, carefully consider what you hear. Carefully, carefully consider what you hear. This, is, this isn't some passive listening that goes in one ear and out the other. It's not a yes, dear moment, right? It's a, it, it means sitting with what you heard, critically thinking about it, and then talking to others about it. Earlier, we talked about how mystery is baked into these parables. They were imperfect pictures that required wisdom and explanation to fully understand. Uh, In verses 33 and 34, we see that Jesus fully explains the meaning of his parables to the disciples. But here's the thing. I don't think this had to be an exclusive conversation. Okay? I don't think Jesus would have turned anyone away from that large, large crowd that heard the parable, probably had no idea what he was talking about, and then walked away. 
Jesus isn't really in the business of, of turning people away, is he, from what we've seen and what we know. Now, some do, they do press in and act on, on Jesus' word. We see plenty of examples of this, of seeming outsiders becoming part of Jesus' inner circle. Levi was ostracized because he was a tax collector, but he dropped everything to follow Jesus and pursue the mystery of the kingdom of God. Later in Mark, uh, we'll learn about a woman who was bleeding for years. Okay, and the story goes, she pushed, pushed through the crowd, touching a ton of different people she wasn't supposed to be touching to get to Jesus because she had faith that he would heal her. And what's my point here? That Jesus, again, he doesn't turn people away. He, in fact, he goes to the people that we turn away, doesn't he? Now, he will remind you of the cost of following him, for sure. Okay, and what it really means. But he doesn't reject those who genuinely surrender all to God. And what do all these people, these insiders, these now insiders who were outsiders, have in common? They were all marginalized and cast away from decent people. Right? Jesus was attractive to those who've been told time and time again that they're not good enough. Jesus was, um, he, you know, he, he kind of comes along and sees people along the road who most of us maybe walk by, and he says, you, you, you who thought you were too invisible or too uneducated or too poor or too sick or too disabled or too crazy, you, you're the one I call. You're the one I want. Follow me. Follow me. I am the full life that you didn't think was possible. Now, something kept the vast majority of these people in the crowd from following Jesus. And maybe Satan did come and snatch the word from some of them. Maybe some of their hearts are just too hardened and stubborn to accept God's word. But maybe, maybe some of them did want to follow Jesus. Maybe some of them were really intrigued, but they couldn't give up what they had. I want to know more, but I don't know. I don't know. What follows that phrase for you? I want to know more, but I'll tell you, you know, for me, it, what often follows that phrase is driven by fear or feelings of inadequacy. I uh, regularly have this internal dialogue where I say, you know, God, I, I know your will for me is to, to fight injustice in our city. What can I do? Just a privileged Korean-American kid, grew up in the suburbs. What do I have to say about racial injustice? God, I know your will for my family is to live simply, to give abundantly, and to not seek security through savings account or moving to a neighborhood where we can escape urban realities, but what will my parents think? My family going to understand? Understand that? God, we want to raise our daughter in a community where, we can under, where she'll understand and care about people of different cultures, perspectives, and lifestyles, but man, these CPS schools, they're, I don't know, she can be safe? Look, trust me, I can keep going. Right, I can keep going. But that's not the point. The point isn't that I have a lot of fears or excuses to stand on the sidelines because we've all got them, don't we? I could probably call you out to name them out and there'd probably be silence because no one would want to say, but we all got them. But the point is that Jesus' call is pretty simple. He says what? Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Now, this also means every other path is not the way, the truth, or the life. Um, as I've been reflecting on uh, the murder of Laquan McDonald, what stayed with me is that there is no neutral ground in the fight for justice. For a long time, I thought I could somewhere stand in the middle. But no longer can I stand behind my skin color or my gender or my privilege to protect me. Because this, in its own way, is me bowing to Satan. The church of Jesus Christ cannot, 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 cannot be neutral when it comes to spreading God's justice in this world. When our brothers and sisters are not allowed to live full lives that Jesus died to provide, we stand up and say, no more. If we don't, who will? And again, I looked to Jesus' call to follow him. That call is full of promise and hope. And no amount of fear can overcome God's power and God's will to continue building his kingdom. Okay, so it's not on our strength that we do this. It's knowing that we're called to build this kingdom that God has, is doing no matter what. Now, as we see here in, in the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed in verses 26 to 32 of our passage, we see that the kingdom starts small in a nowhere corner in a forgotten and conquered country. But what? It grows day and night, and nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. So the question is, will we be like those in the crowd, satisfied to hear the parables? Probably think something like, yeah, it was a pretty good sermon, it was a good word, and then go on with our lives? Or will we pursue Jesus and his kingdom in the midst of our insecurities? our fears, our inadequacies. Jesus explains the parables to the disciples many, many times. And he does this knowing that they won't get it right away. Right? And as we talked about, they didn't quite get it until he, the Holy Spirit came and like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But that didn't stop him from sowing the seeds and seeing who would come and follow him. So starting next week, not, not this week, this is very important, starting next week, what you will do is you will go up to the preacher after service to ask questions and dig deeper, right, next week. You will go to community group with questions and dig deeper into the word. And if you are not in a community group, you will join a community group to do this. And you could talk to me about joining one. Um, our worship team, you can, you can come on up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. A lot of people hear Jesus' message, but only a few stick around. Why is this? It's because following Jesus is hard. It's, it's the narrow road, right, as some of us like to say. It's not, that everyone, it's not a road that everyone is willing to walk. So just like in the parable of the sower, where three of four types of soil do not yield lasting harvest, so it is that most of us who hear the word will not not fully absorb it. So let's be that good soil. Let's pray that God will make us that good soil.
Let's be the ones who not only hear a good word, but also act on it. God planted our church as a vineyard in Bronzeville. So we are designed to produce fruit and spread justice on the South Side. This is what we're here for. And we do this by surrendering our fears, inadequacies, lack of faith, whatever else, and sins at the cross. And we do this by listening for Jesus, for where he is calling us to follow him. We take hard looks at our bank accounts. Where our, we look at where our time is spent. And we repent of pursuing the American dream in ways that run counter to the gospel. And make no mistake, we recognize that there is no neutral ground for Christians when it comes to fighting for justice. But most of all, most of all, we pray. We pray for fertile hearts, but we also pray against Satan's work as he aims to snatch the word and the very lives of our brothers and sisters. So those of us who follow Jesus most closely are the ones who have ears to hear, right? Ears to hear? And then act on that word in compassion, and with courage, and with humility. Let's pray. God, pray that you will make us the good soil. Pray against Satan and temptations that make us believe that security and safety are our rights as kingdom citizens. I pray for those in our congregation and neighborhood who daily live in unjust circumstances. God, protect their minds and their bodies. May they have powerful encounters with the God who loves them. God, I pray for those among us who are on the front lines of spreading justice and are wearied, tired. Father, I ask that you keep their hearts soft and their ears open to your voice. Holy Spirit, I also ask that you move powerfully in our church, that we would repent of idolatry and be sowers of your justice in this world. God, I also pray for the tithes and offering that we're about to collect. Um, God, I, I ask that you will press on our hearts to continue giving faithfully and generously as we have all year. I particularly pray for our year-end push. God, I ask that you would challenge us to carefully consider who you have called us to be and how that impacts our giving. Amen.